Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello to you and welcome back to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast. It is with incredible joy that I bring back a previous guest who is insightful and philosophical and brilliant and kind and poetic. So before I get to him, though, I wanted to remind you that if you are trying to get over someone or you're going through a breakup or you have someone who's still on your mind from years ago and you have a hard time getting closure, let's create it for you. I have a five-week breakup recovery course that is, you know, you get daily emails from me with videos and you also get five weeks of course material that's about going through the grief, going through the closing, and also what the possibilities it creates. And it's a beautiful journey. And since I'm in the journey with you for the first time ever and the last time, I'm going to be doing three live calls if you register by September 30th. So if you register for the Breakup Recovery course by September 30th, you'll get three live coaching calls group coaching calls, and they are on October 6th, October 20th, and November 3rd. So it's going to be fantastic. All you got to do is go to bit.ly slash breakup rebirth. So bit.ly slash breakup rebirth. Make sure you go there and you register now so you can participate and be part of this amazing experience where we're going to walk through all the material and jam on it and answer all your questions. So Go to that bit.ly slash breakup rebirth. And without further ado, here is Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. All right. Welcome to an episode of Mark Groves' podcast here with Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. This is definitely not my podcast. (laughs) So we just went to go start recording and he's like, wait, you're a guest on mine. And I'm like, no, you're a guest on mine. So you're on mine. I'm sorry, buddy. It's great to be here. I've uh, prepared extensively for this conversation. (laughs) We clearly had very open communication and uh, similar expectations in showing up to this conversation. It it feels like a blind date that I've just suddenly been thrust into. (laughs) Like, oh, okay. I mean, blind dates. Have you ever been on one? No. I'm pretty sure I have. 
Is it like weird you, that I'm not really sure? I feel like you would remember. No, nah, maybe I haven't. I don't know. I've been on a lot of dates in my life. Have you been on a lot of dates? <laughs> is that a weird question? This is good. This is super professional. No, I would say I haven't been on a lot of dates in my life. I, I mean, with girlfriends, yes. Yeah, but, I mean, like, not, first dates, I second dates. No, nah, I haven't dated very extensively. Oh, man, when I got out of my engagement, I think I joined Plenty of Fish. That was, yeah. man, even actually back in when online dating was new, I used Lava Life. Lava Life? I know, like, no one even knows about it because it's... I don't think I've ever heard of it. It is so in the deep recesses of the internet that it's... Lava Life. Yeah, I don't even know if it still exists. But anyways, I went on to Plenty of Fish and to eHarmony and all the different ones. Yeah. I dated a lot. I remember there were some weeks where I would have like three or four dates. Wow. Yeah, it got exhausting. It got to a place where I actually just stopped dating. Yeah, that feels tiring just thinking about. Normally, my pattern would be date someone for a couple years, get my heart ripped out of my chest, (laughs) go into a pity, poor me, binge drinking episode that would last roughly from one to 10 months and then sort of not be interested in women for like a while. You know, I I definitely had that, like my first relationship when it ended, I went into a nice sort of cocoon where I turned within. I didn't, you know, I wasn't Mm. thinking about existential questions or like, Maybe I don't show up to relationships great or I have bad boundaries. That I no. mean, did you think? I didn't even know what a boundary was. Man, I didn't even know what that was till like eight years ago. Totally. I mean, no, if someone had said, you don't have good boundaries, I'd be like, get Excuse fucked. Me? I don't even know what, what you, you're talking about. I would picture like state boundaries. <laughs> like what? Why, do Why I, are you talking about that? What do you, that doesn't even make sense to me. All of the dialect that we utilize now in this personal development space of codependency and communication and boundaries and vulnerability. These may have well have been in Latin to me (laughs) 10 years ago, five years ago. I wasn't really speaking with this kind of language. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, of course, it's the it's the complete shattering that invites the, the inquiry, you know, like for the most part, because we just have assumptions from growing up that. Like no one says, hey, how's our family system or relationally, unless someone's family system sucked so much that they were in child counseling or one of the parents went and became a psychologist. You know, that's the only way we were having those conversations because, I mean, Mm. otherwise you start to learn about your dysfunction and who likes to learn about their dysfunction? I don't know. Not many people. Not till your dysfunction (laughs) is running your life and creating chaos. Yeah, I I kind of am one of these proponents of, hitting rock bottom, having tea with it, (laughs) you know, maybe dating rock bottom for a while, and then starting to proactively look for alternative means of uh, acquiring knowledge or life choices. So in your past, Mm. because I'm interested, we're we're often very similar in our experiences. Yeah, you and I are uh, cut from the same cloth. Yeah, so to speak, although your hair is much fuller. My hair is voluminous. 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 But I'm wondering in your, what is the most devastating relationship breakup you ever had? You don't have to name anyone, but what were the sort of circumstances? And then what was your 
recovery process? Oh, gosh. We'll just go straight into it, hey, Groves? I mean, why fuck around? I mean, that's just, you know, you were talking, you went from your hair is really long to tell me about your most devastating heartbreak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a compliment. <laughs> and then I lead with that. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's been a, there's been a couple. Yeah, I got it. There's a couple, there. you know, contenders for sure. I think the first, the first proper devastating heartbreak was painful and traumatic in its own way because it was new. How old were you? I was 26. Oh man, you were older when you had your older. first heartbreak. I mean, I had my first heartbreak at, at like 21 that I thought was like proper heartbreak. You know, I remember I was in the... <laughs> it's funny how it sets a new low or high depending yeah. how you're measuring. Totally. And you when can... you meet a new bottom, you're like, I thought that was the bottom. Right. This shit is... <laughs> and and the same with meeting a new love as well. I've, I've had relationships <laughs> where I was in love and then you go to the next one and it's like, oh, oh, this is love. And then that one ends and then you go to the next one. It's like, oh, like this is healthy relationship. Mm, and so yeah. for me, it's just a perpetual kind of excavating of new rock bottoms to then carve out the space to build stronger foundations that allow me to get to higher, um, higher views of bliss and health and what, whatnot. And it's like that Khalil Gibran quote, the deeper that sorrow carves into you, the more joy you can contain, right? Yeah, I, I fully believe that, that like when you are signing up for love, mm. the more you know about love, the more you learn about love, the more tools you build, the more ability you have to be open. Mm. The more open you are, the more pain you're, you're experiencing in that loss of that love. And that's, I mean, to me, the pain of heartbreak, you know, I'm, I'm in the midst of a breakup, really. And, I know. Yeah. And, <laughs> And I turn towards that pain with this acknowledgement of this is just evidence that I'm open. And mm -hmm. I, I, it's weird because there's almost like a misogynistic bliss to it. I mean, I'm not getting a boner from it, but I mean, like there's like a, an ecstasy to the heartbreak mm. that it's like, wow, like this is how much I love. Yeah. There's just a fundamental aliveness from feeling anything deeply. Right. And so years back when I had my first heartbreak and was, quote unquote, destroyed mm -hmm. for so long. And then the second heartbreak came through. Uh, that was a much more intense, visceral experience yeah. that persisted for months and resulted in me really getting lost down the rabbit hole of all kinds of thoughts. Everything from I need to go buy a ring and win her back and. You know, I'm going to go and oh, buy the ring to win her back. Yeah, it was that really, is, uh, it was a real. but this was a legitimate voice in my, you know, 22 year old, 24 year old head, however old I was like, this makes sense. This is perfectly reasonable. It's interesting when we start to cling to, uh, we just, we try to meet needs with wants. Mm. Like I need security. I want a ring. I need security. We should have a baby. Hmm. You know, like all these ways that, you know, I heard uh, someone commented on my Instagram post the other day that said, um, I really want the label in the relationship because, you know, blah, 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 blah. and I said, no, you don't. You want what you think the label brings. Mm. 
you know, because we think that the label brings the safety, but the safety comes from the agreements that are explicitly spoken about what a label is. Yeah. And you've learned that from having your label ripped off and stepped on, burnt on. Yeah. And you, you learn it from putting a label on something and not telling another person what it means to you. Also not a fantastic idea. No, that usually sucks a lot. That's, I've done that too. And in a way, I think that's a lot of covert. Like I'm going to set you up for failure by not telling you all my needs and expectations. And then I'll be devastated and victimized when mm. you don't meet them. Even okay. though you told me your truth, you didn't realize I put a sneaky label on there. That's that extra commitment. And navigating that through pain and the the uncertainty of the day-to-day experience is really challenging. And oh one God. thing that I've learned from heartbreak though, amongst others, is that is that it's a really powerful opportunity to get curious, right? Yeah. It's a really powerful opportunity to reflect, to feel things deeply, to remind myself of the previous heartbreaks that I've been through. So the first one was hard because I'd never experienced that before. I felt like the rug had been ripped out from under me. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the hell is this? Like, oh, it's heartbreak. Like, oh, well, I don't want any of this. This This is is terrible. This tastes worse than Brussels sprouts. Oh my God, this is like rancid, moldy cheese in my soul. (laughs) But so then the second one came through and that was like way worse. And so in that circumstance, me reminding myself of the first one, like, oh yeah, this is heartbreak. That's right. It's like, hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, and reminding myself that the first heartbreak was evidence that I'll survive, that I'll overcome, that I'll find love again. It's it's sort of a cause it's hard for to believe opt- in it. Then it's hard to believe in it. We're, sorry, a, you were going to say it's a cause for optimism. It's a cause for optimism. I love that. Yeah, I think heartbreak. And any heartbreak that you survive is a cause for optimism because it proves that you're stronger than the pain that you've experienced. Yeah, it's. I remember my first heartbreak was in um, grade nine, one week relationship. But, you mm. know, we'd been in love many lives, according mm. to my heartbreak. <laughs> and it's interesting because I didn't know like this first person that I cared about that I, you know, all those things that you're sort of exploring in junior high. Mm. And let's be honest, like when you're like 13, shit is hard and people are assholes and it's confusing and people have new hairs everywhere and, you know, you can orgasm. And there's just a lot of weird things happening that are hard to make sense of. Tap into that and add Catholicism. (laughs) where you don't get taught anything about your potential orgasm or sexual touch. You know, I remember watching this video that said, uh, give her a kiss that says, I like her, but I respect her, which is a beautiful message. Mm. It did say, don't use tongue. So now we know that tongue is now not disrespectful. Respe- yeah, it's disrespectful. And no light petting. Light petting. Like, again, that's a weird, if they had said, don't grab the boob, that's pretty, that, I'd be like, oh yeah, your hand, boob, but no light petting. And so it's like, there was so much confusion associated with that. But I do remember being just like devastated, devastated. I listened to Boys to Men, End of the Road. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so glad Adele wasn't around then. Fuck man, Adele. Hello. Hello. Although that's about her dad, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, I feel like 
life is just this ever-evolving series of confusing, hurtful experiences to confront and learn from. And, and so, yeah, in middle school, you have vague instructions about how to show up in the world and you have hormones and you have all kinds of very odd societal expectations and urges and blah, blah, blah. And then you go to high school and there's a whole other suite of things. And then you graduate and you're in college and there's a whole other suite of things. And then you're in the real world and then you're in your twenties and then you're in your thirties. And there's just, from my experience, um, new and exciting things to learn (laughs) and to be, to be triggered by in every sort of chapter of my existence. Mm, it, It seems like it's all like, when you think about childhood and you look back, you often recognize far more of the traumas than while you're mm-hmm. living in them, right? I feel like we all have these sticky moments that the memory is very clear. It's very visceral. It's very, and they're all, almost always moments of pain. Mm. Um, sometimes there are little moments of bliss, but for the most part, they're like bullying, getting called something, mm. you know, abuse, all the different things. And it's, Fascinating that when you're older and you look back, this moment in time becomes a prison that like we keep reliving it. We keep reliving the cycles. We keep picking people that rewound that. Or at least we've never developed the skill set that is being asked of us from that moment mm. to not repeat the cycle. Yeah, I feel like we get hurt so deeply and so badly that we alter our entire existence moving forward so as to avoid that again right and so but we almost shrink in that moment and that causes the repeat do you know what i'm saying shrink in the moment like in the moment that the trauma happens the pain we'll just call it a trauma right um which uh the gottmans define as anything that you can't prepare for which i like i think that makes it so everything that is unpredictable is a trauma which it really is it's like when it happens and we are imprisoned by that, we repeat it because we haven't actually expanded from it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so it seems like it just like we keep coming back to it. We keep coming back to it. And I hear that all the time. Like, oh, I only, I can't only attract unavailable men. I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure there's a lot more to this than just that your Tinder has a virus in it. <laughs> but everyone else's Tinder is perfectly fine. Yeah. Not everyone else's, but you know what I'm saying. I, I think it it just goes to beliefs, right? Like pain teaches us a very specific set of beliefs about the world and ourselves. And healing teaches us a very specific set of beliefs about the world and ourselves. And these things take time, right? I think that it's totally okay to be absolutely sideswiped by something unexpected and horrible. Like life happens, right? And we're all going to suffer at some stage. We're all going to be swept aside by life or partners or jobs or strangers at some point. And I think the real gift there is the opportunity to pause and feel it and then decide how you want to move forward. Who you want to be. Who you want to be. What yeah. what the story that you're going to tell yourself about that incident is, right? So, And what you're going to make it mean about you. What you're going to make about you. Yeah. So, so for example, going back to that breakup question earlier, I had another 
I think this is the third breakup. I, I, there's three or four. But one of them, I was really, this was like the big one. And I was like really devastated, soul empty. I would be at my um, at my desk and I would just leave work and go and swim in the ocean and like cry in the ocean. And I had some significant grieving. And then part of me decided to become the very best version of myself as mm-hmm. a kind of revenge tactic. I like that. That's like, you don't choose that's me. That's fine. I'm like, fuck you. Watch this. I'm going to choose the shit Watch out of Watch this. Me. I'm going to turn into to Rambo. Wait till you see my abs. Yeah. Sober. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be the smartest version of myself. I'm going to be like Jeremy 2.0. <laughs> and I got real into that because it gave me a distraction from the pain. It gave me purpose, gave me a mission. And it gave me a little bit of that egoic comeuppance, so to speak, of like, mm-hmm. fuck you. Fuck you, chick. Watch this. And so, yeah, I was like four months sober, working out, uh, loving my life, healing, getting healthy. And that was a really powerful statement for myself to recognize that I could consciously choose to decide which version of myself I wanted to be. And take that, that energy Take that, that pain mm-hmm. and transmute it. Yeah. You know, and it, did, you did, get you, to, did you face it too? I mean, I faced it, yeah, often. Yeah. And I faced it again. Just because sometimes future. people become yeah, obsessed with like uh, exercise and, you know, uh, God or anything. Well, Alcohol, as a distraction. Drugs, all ways of not turning towards, because, especially when we turn towards things that are celebrated like exercise. Yeah. Your body gets into And everybody tells place. you that. Yeah. Oh, you look great. Yeah. You're, you're doing so well. Gosh, you're so healthy. You look so happy. I am doing well. You're so tempt. Right. You know. So I think there that you've raised an important distinction between, you know, bypassing the pain and hurt and trauma and ignoring it and avoiding it and hiding from it. Hiding from it in distraction and hobbies and new relationships and things that are shiny and different, right? So I think you can do both. I think you can both reflect on what you've gone through, feel it, work through it, while concurrently deciding to interpret that pain and loss and tragedy in the most empowering way possible and decide to become the best version of yourself based on what that pain is teaching you. It's interesting because, you know, that that idea of uh, all endings are new beginnings. And I Mm -hmm. was really just realizing not that long ago in my uh, marinating in in the heartbreak of that really the first step of that new beginning is actually the grieving. Like we think it's what closes the old door, but it's actually the bridge between the two Mm. and required. And the way I handled my first uh, grade nine serious end of the road boys to men breakup was I stopped talking to her and she would say hi to me in the hall and I wouldn't even acknowledge her. We'd literally stand in a group. This is how I handled conflict and pain. I mm. turned, I stonewalled. I shut down, I turned into a mute and I didn't talk to her and she'd be like, hi, Mark. And I literally would act like she didn't exist because I was mm-hmm. I was in so much pain. Mm. I didn't know that because no one was talking to me about it. Like, hey, you know how you won't talk to her? I think you might be hurting. There was not that conversation. My next breakup was in grade 12 and uh, I was 17. Yeah, I was 17. And I didn't handle that that well either. But, you know, I do have to say that at least with that one, I spoke my truth at the end. 
I wouldn't say it was in a graceful way. And I also didn't talk to her. I did not go out and do crazy shit. I worked out. I did, you know, things like that. Now, the next girl I dated was like in the cocoon of <laughs> destruction. We broke up and I started to drink more. I mean, I drank. I was in college, so I just thought mm. binge drinking was normal and healthy. Yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yes. Yeah. We both know how to do that. And that's when I turned towards like promiscuity, like mm. all these different ways of coping. I think, but that back in the day, man, there, like, there wasn't was, a podcast. There wasn't this shit. There wasn't social media. There wasn't like thought leaders it, there was no discussion amongst peer groups about healing or like were your oh, buddies like yo man you gotta sit with the pain man you gotta no and you're in california so it's i like, just hey. imagine people talk like that no like that, yo bro man you just gotta sit with the pain man yeah that's not how we talk <laughs> well sometimes it was more like let's go get fucked up Right. Oh, yeah. Feel sad. Like, let's go get fucked. I had out. a reverse bachelor party after my engagement ended. What does that mean? It's just you celebrate that you're not that you're now a bachelor rather than yeah. I was supposed to have a bachelor party. So we had a reverse bachelor party. Oh. But yeah, you know, that is it's interesting to see just sort of how the narratives of what it means to be male sort of coincide. I, I mean, I don't think there's often that big of a difference between how women and men handle breakups mm. or everything in between. The human experience is to either run from it or numb it you know, or run towards it is very rare. Yes. I, I do feel like for me, at least back in that time period, in that time frame, I feel like females are more inclined to open up, share, yeah, confide, sure. reach out, you know, that is talk true. about, it. I feel like the do at least in my life, in my small sample size of one, the, the male experience was come on, man, like, let's go hook up with a new chick like you need a rebound let's go get yeah, to get over the x get under the let's next go. not a great strategy just so you know if you try yeah. that it's not ideal no heart your heart will still be breaking on the bottom of uh cowgirl or whatever position you decide on that's, that's... What it's called just in case anyone was wondering so yes that <laughs> but whereas now it's like oh hey have you read this book have you listened to this podcast do you follow Mark Groves? Have you read Jeremy's new post? I follow Did Jeremy you? Goldberg. Yeah, he's doctor. He's super handsome. All <laughs> of that, right? It's now more a widespread thing because of the work that you're doing and countless others to bring these really important concepts to the forefront and like talk about the stuff that really matters. I mean, at that time, you were in high school. I was in college during these traumatic breakups. In the whole university, in the whole high school, you're not taking classes on compassion you're not taking classes on relationships feeling your feelings family systems none of this like we no. don't teach this shit you know that's it, i feel like in the 80s and 90s and 2000s i mean i'm too old to really have an opinion on the 2000s outside of university mm. but you know you think about it it's like there was so much misinformation and lack of information one because of the media but of course tv became truth and a lot of people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s believe that the TV only tells the truth, that the news tells the truth. Totally. And we already know that's bullshit. We know, like, in conversations with other people who are older and more conservative, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Well, obviously not with being older, but with conservatism and your political beliefs. 
But there is often I've found this, if I say like something along the lines of, you know, your government doesn't always have your best interests in mind. I've had a lot of reactivity to that. And I'm like, listen, it doesn't mean they don't sometimes, but it's like every human too. Governments are run by humans. So they don't always have the best interests in mind. Look at the food industry. It told us fat was bad. And then what happened? Sugar was put into everything. Mm. And sugar makes a lot of money. And those were all, and it was partnered with drugs that were for cholesterol that sold for a lot of money. I mean, there's so much misinformation and the same is true emotionally. Marriage is supposed to look like this. Relationships are supposed to look like this. Breadwinner, patriarchal. You know, there's a book by Stephanie Kuntz that's called um, The Way We Never Were. And it's about how we've like glorified this idea of the nuclear family, but it was never actually glory. It was never actually wonderful because... Often the man hated his life who went to the same job every day till he retired. Mm -hmm. And the woman was depressed and told that she couldn't have her own dreams and her own needs. And so neither person was happy. And yet when someone's unhappy in a marriage or whatever, a relationship, because it's been normalized to not say, hey, are you sure you want to be with, you know, Ed or whatever? Mm. It's like, because he's not very good to you. Or are you sure you want to be with her? Like, she's very unkind, whatever it is. She's cheating on you, whatever it is. It's like, we're we're so addicted to the, the ignoring of it that we would rather live in a prison. The prison's very comfortable, right? But man, it is. The pain that we- Till you're awake, you know? And I don't mean awake in this hierarchical, I'm conscious you're not bullshit. I mean, awake to me is literally, do you ask why you do what you do? Do you just think about how you think? You know, do you actually ever question your motives and who you can be and why you do, you know, that to me is, is really, and are you willing to hear the answer that you're not being a good person? And man, when I actually had to face that, I think I just got more beer, <laughs> you know? It's overwhelming. And I'm sure you well, get- it's a shame train. A shame train. It is. No amount of shampoo is going to get rid of that shame. If you're full of them today. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the beautiful things about the time that we live in now with technology and the widespread transformation of society is that there are so many more diverse opinions now than ever before. So if yeah. you go back in time talking about the 50s and 60s, there's probably a handful of societal stories that you referenced there, the nuclear family, you get yeah. the job, you buy the house, the whatever, whatever. Nowadays you have YouTube, you have social media, you have- Well, people get to websites. choose who's famous now. Well, people get to choose lots of things yeah. now. And so I guess what I was, I guess what I meant was that never before has there been such an easily accessible it's never been easier to access a diverse suite of information, opinions, ideas. So true. And so if your life is feeling unfulfilled, if you are feeling scared, if you're feeling hurt, yeah. worried, anything, you can pull out a device in your pocket, type in some keywords, find a YouTube channel, a book, a, several thousand podcasts that will all give you ideas to help understand and move forward with whatever you're feeling. You know, 10, 20, 40 years ago, it was much more difficult to learn about all of these things that we're talking about now. Like yeah. we're sitting in your house with two microphones recording a chat that 
literally tens of thousands or millions of people could listen to with a device in their pockets. That's I mean, bonkers. that's crazy. It's bonkers. I mean, that's the thing is, is being alive in this time is like one of the greatest gifts to ever have, you know, like, mm -hmm. like previous generations didn't have access to this information. But I think the difference that comes with that is, of course, the responsibility of using the information. And I think in a lot of ways, the amount of information we have is often in conflict with what we've been taught through generational education. As in, you know, you never get divorced. You never, if, if you're not in a relationship, something's wrong with you. And I face that in questions that I get after my breakup where it's like, well, when you find love, you really fight for it, Mark. Yeah, I was saying this on you're, the last podcast episode I recorded where I was like, oh, thanks for the tip. I better call Kai and let her know I just found out you fight for love. Yeah, it like, turns out. But and that just reminds me so much that that when someone has hope or pedestals something, they don't they put it outside of themselves and they don't make something human. And then they're disappointed because of the expectation they have of something else. Does that make sense? Not really. I didn't follow. Like when you a put someone that you when you put someone on a pedestal or a relationship on a pedestal or a person, a teacher, it doesn't matter what it's about. And then you find out something human about them. We're often disappointed. Uh, yeah, the illusion or the expectation that you've created is shattered. Yeah, everybody is capable of not being good. Everyone is capable of making mistakes. And that is and everyone is capable of, you know, when I think like a lot of the narratives about like you choose love, you fight for it. How do you, why have we never supported the thought that choosing love can be letting something go, can be an ending, which is really just the, the choosing of self, the, and if you're willing to betray to choose self, that's one of the hardest things. Yeah. So what just came up for me there was that I think sometimes we confound the idea of choosing love with choosing the relationship. And sometimes mm. choosing yeah. love means I'm choosing myself. Sometimes choosing love means I love you and I'm leaving. Sometimes choosing love means I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. I have had enough. I am better than this relationship. I deserve more than what you are giving me. I am looking to live a better life. So I'm choosing to love myself enough that I'm okay disappointing you. And that doesn't mean that you're not fighting for the relationship. It just means that you're fighting more for the relationship with yourself. Well, I think in a lot of times, that is the first time someone ever has. And so it feels like this very foreign mm -hmm. thing. I mean, I'm so grateful that in the last, you know, 10, 12, 13 years of my life where I started asking, why do I do what I do? Mm. Why am I not great at communicating? Why do I not know what a boundary is? You know, like, I'm so grateful that that happened because before the age of 32, when I went through a bit of a breakup, and I wouldn't even say I handled that with grace, I handled that with withdrawal and shutdown and no expression. Hmm. And now I can turn towards and really hold a space in a container of compassion and grace as my heart breaks and hers does and, and, and really love her no matter what. I've never been able to do that. So what's the belief in you that shifted to allow that? Well, that it, I think one, it's that it's how I show up that matters more than anything. That ha who you are when you're hurt is who you are. 
And, you know, it's kind of like you could be a, a monk on a mountain, no problem when you're hanging out in the mm -hmm. rainforest. Meditation's yeah. easy peasy. Yep. But when you're walking down the streets of the New York, who are you? When someone cuts you off, who are you? Mm. When your heart breaks, who are you? When someone rejects you, who are you? And for me, that's just been such a invitation every time that's happened up until now has been practice. Totally. I'm not so good at the cutting off part, but the like the car cutting off, cutting off a relationship. You're getting better you know. at it. I am. I am. I can breathe a little better but yeah it's a it's, it's that I, preparation what do you think well so what i think is that it takes radical personal responsibility period so just because you're heartbroken is not an excuse for you to be an asshole just because you're heartbroken doesn't mean that you get to be cruel to someone just because mercury is in gatorade or that you <laughs> you know you got in a car accident or it's, it's a full moon or it's your time yeah. of the month or you're hungry or you're thirsty or whatever. That does not give you an excuse to be cruel. It does not give you an excuse to be an asshole. Right. And to spill and spread your pain to, yeah, to hurt somebody else just because you're feeling hurt. Like that's, that's not how life works in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And yes, it, it is okay to feel emotional, tired, hungry, devastated but i think the braver stronger better way to deal with that is not to lash out to lose control but to take personal responsibility and say you know i'm feeling hungry tired emotional devastated heartbroken and you know what i don't think it's a great idea that we have this conversation right now i need some space i need some time i need to go for a walk i don't want to say something that i'll regret and Let's, if I do, I repair, I repair, yes, I repair. Yeah. And so to me, it's that responsibility component of knowing yeah. yourself enough. So the awareness and responsibility, knowing yourself enough that you recognize how you're feeling and what you need, and then taking the responsibility to move forward with fulfilling those needs in a healthy, compassionate way for yourself and for those around you. And I think that is the up-leveling when you talk about personal growth or expansion or adulting or whatever. That's the tricky bit. Being aware of what's going on inside of you as the cyclone is brewing mm -hmm. or the world is falling down around you and being clear on what's happening inside. And then also cultivating the space, cultivating the pause to then have that moment of reflection and deciding on the healthiest course of action for the highest version of yourself. Mm. And that sounds so much easier than it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's that. And the more that you can do that, the more actions that you can take in that aligned, high integrity, healthy space, the more that you prove to yourself that you are that person. And the more that you take those actions, the easier it gets for next time. The, the more you take those actions, the more then you can take another action that's just a little bit harder. Or that yeah. feels a little bit more outside your comfort zone. That's pushing you, you to develop a new skill set to That's implement right. a skill set you've heard about. Totally. It's yeah. like it's like the, the analogy that I often use with clients is going to the gym, right? So you you do reps. Say you're doing a bench press and you're doing reps one through ten and you do fifty pounds and you grow your muscle. You do it again the next day, the next week, and over time you build that muscle up 
and eventually you're doing 60, 100, yeah. 150 pounds. It's the same process with compassion. It's the same process with courage, with vulnerability. You just get used to putting the reps in and you grow those muscles. You grow your courage muscle. You grow your vulnerability muscle. And the more that you do it, the more reps that you put in, the more comfortable you get being uncomfortable in certain situations. Like, I don't think it necessarily gets easier to do the reps. I think you get stronger. You can lift more weight, metaphorically. And you also recognize the feelings internally. Like when I said earlier, like, oh, heartbreak. That's right. Oh, this is grief. Oh, this is rage. Oh, what is this? It's, oh, this tastes like jealousy in my body. Oh, it's been a minute. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now I'm aware of that. How can I take responsibility for these feelings and act in a way that is not going to embarrass the shit out of me tomorrow, right? Oh, yeah. And then using that shame, should that happen, to change, hmm. claiming, repairing, right. owning, right. responsibility. I, you really spoke to this development of trust with self. Like, I know who I am in the fire because I've done this. Hmm. I know who I am when I'm rejected because I've been there. And we cultivate more and more space within ourselves to know, I don't need you to have my back in this moment because I know I always do. Mm -hmm. And man, is that a ongoing exercise of new tests to say, we're, we used to do this triggered dance, whoever, you know, because a lot of couples mm -hmm. are caught in that. And then they go, well, how do I do that if my partner doesn't do that? And da, 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 da. I'm like, if you change you, they have to change. Yeah. But they won't trust it at first because if you've always done a dance where it's like defensiveness, criticism, withdrawing, whatever it is, if you all of a sudden put the weapon down, they go, but they'll know this mm -hmm. is, and they'll next level it to try to bring you back in the dance because they don't trust it. They don't trust bridges where walls were. You know, and that's scary shit because I've certainly built a lot of bridges and had them built for me. Yeah. And when someone builds one for you, you kind of put your foot on it like, I'm going to go through this board, aren't I? I see what you did. You certified this bridge. Yeah. <laughs> but that, the other aspect of that is, I think that self-trust is huge. And I think it can be difficult in situations when you're facing uncertainty or the unknown. Mm -hmm. And you can waver. You might not trust yourself entirely, but you might have a toolbox in your arsenal that it might mean that you have a phone call that you can make or a gym that you can go work out at or a posse of friends that have your back. And so there's a way to build trust with that. But then an additional side of that, I think, is trusting yourself enough to face the unknown future ahead of you. And so, yeah, you might have been fired. You might have lost all your money. You might have been unexpectedly cheated on, divorced, whatever. And you're facing a lot of uncertainty in the moment, day to day. If you can cultivate a strength in yourself where you trust yourself fully or, or full enough that you can face that fear, that uncertainty, and remind yourself of all that you've been through in the past, that you've survived, that made you stronger. If you're in that moment and you're in that battle, and you trust yourself moving forward, then suddenly you become kind of unbreakable. Yeah. You, you become a It doesn't force. depend on the outcomes. It, it's all, you trust yourself, so it doesn't matter. Totally. 
I, I wrote this line years ago of like a broken heart can shatter and a shattered heart can splinter, but eventually it can break no more. And in that beautiful morose moment, the broken become unbreakable, unstoppable. Mm. And so there gets to this place in my experience where heartbreak is so severe and so significant that my heart breaks and I'm done. And then my heart shatters. I'm like, oh shit, I can break some more. And then it shatters and then it splinters, right? And then it's grinded into like a fine powder. And I remember this years back thinking, okay, like I'm at full pain threshold. This cannot get worse, <laughs> right? Mm. And in that moment of rock bottom, there's, in my experience, there was this kind of peaceful stillness in my soul of like, okay, I'm still here. I'm still breathing. And this is as bad as it can get. Mm. And in that moment, it was like, okay, I, I am unstoppable. Like, bring it. Bring it world. Like, I can do fucking anything. Like, I just survived this. My heart's in a million pieces of sawdust right now, blown in the wind. But still like, beating. I'm entirely numb. But still beating. Yeah. I mean, but if I'm you're listening here. to this, you've survived some shit. I mean, that's We've just We've all the survived truth. some wars that we wish we could And that's avoid. the e evidence of it, that you already got it. It's already here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's scary to give birth to your voice, to who you are, to standing in your truth. And, and that's, I do think these heartbreaks are really about meeting oneself, about getting rid of the bullshit because you don't have the energy anymore to fuck around. And that's why relationships are such a gift. They are such a gift. I have experienced what you're saying, uh, which was so poetically put. Nice. He does spoken word poetry, so people are aware. That's why he sounds so good. And so on beat. Um <laughs> And in in this heartbreak, specifically, I've never experienced so much connection to myself, continued connection to self, and that the amount of love that I have for her has not changed in any way. If any, you know, I, I think because I've been able to cultivate such a space within myself of understanding and compassion and empathy for my own humanness, for my own mistakes, for the things I learned that I could be better at. Hmm. I can just hold that space so much more to look at her and not think this relationship, because it ends, I'm mad, I'm this, I'm not. It's like, wow, we have had such a beautiful journey together. And I am a way different man than I was at the beginning, a better man, a more expansive man. And that there is nothing but gratitude. And I said to her that, I could die tomorrow and know I've experienced great love. And that that is like, I mean, with the impermanence of life, to know that, to know that I've done that. And I think that is really what, um, that's why we're here, you know, to experience the deliciousness of life. Like what is mm. life without feeling, you know? It's good living, man. It's And it's brave work. Proud of you. It's not easy. No. Nope, but it's worth every, every, every moment of, of choosing grace in mm -hmm. all the moments where I haven't in the past. It's like repeated tests of yeah. like, oh, are you going to not talk to her and ignore her for the next two years like you did in grade nine? You know, <laughs> you know, that's, that was long gone after that. But, but just those little micro tests of who you've been in the past and these repeated experiences. Mm. Man, it's like that question, what would love do? 
Yeah. In this instance, you get a text, you get a phone call, something happens at work. What would love do? Or if I was That's a tough one too. If I was brave, because that's vulnerability. That's bridges. That's bridges. That's bridges. Now it's really hard for me. Now I know people say, well, wait till you have kids and all those kind of things. You're the best parent till you have kids, as that saying goes. <laughs> but it is really hard for me to observe people who use children in breakups and spill their pain in those moments, you know? And I mean, it's obviously ideal that two parents love each other and stay together. Mm. Um, but I actually just had a conversation with my dad and my stepmom about this like a week ago. And we were talking about divorce and they were talking about my childhood. And it was interesting to hear them project their story onto my childhood. And they were saying things like, well, you know, don't you think that you're screwed up because of the divorce? Or uh -huh. don't you think, don't you think, don't you wish you could have, it could have all worked out. And my, my experience at the time was very traumatic. And I was, mm -hmm. um, I developed a twitch. Was it an amicable divorce? No. Right. Okay. So that's, I mean, I don't know how you define that, but no. <laughs> like, did you see love and grace between them in the, no, in the it was like right. 1986 and, um, it was no, no it, I mean, I don't want to throw my parents under the bus. Yeah, they course. did the best they've ever done. And like, they're trying their best and it was loving and blah, blah, blah. But I think, so, so what I said was I'm much more grateful now in the present moment that, you, that there was a divorce and that it was at times ugly and at times really beautiful and really loving because what it meant was I then got I have so many siblings, I have to like count them. But I got three new siblings, six new siblings. I can't even remember. I have a bunch of a siblings. A lot. So I got two stepbrothers. I got a half brother, two half sisters. I got stepdad, stepmom, stepgrandparents. Like the, the amount of love in my life expanded hugely because of the divorce. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, I would have much preferred that than to have my mom and dad stay together and be unhappy for another 14 years until I could leave the house. Because you can sense that as kids and as humans, we, you know when people are unhappy. Yeah, they can't, you can't and, deny it. And we also can't protect people from the human experience. Like yeah. I hear people say all the time, like, well, I don't want my kid to experience da 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 da. Now there are obviously things we don't want children to experience and people to experience, but just the regular aches and pains of life and you know, watching a relationship end beautifully between two people who do it with care and attention and, and they handle their anger and they want, they repair and all those things. That's a gift to yeah. give to a child. Oh my God. Show them what real love is. But to watch parents resent each other and treat each other like shit and use, you know, their kids as triangulation techniques. I mean, to me, that is way worse than, than departing. Yeah. And I said, I said to them, even if you have a perfect childhood, that becomes your trauma. Because yeah, the that. world is not a perfect place. And you can have a perfect childhood with perfect parents, perfect upbringing. It all goes perfectly. You get out into the real world and you get your head kicked in by a, by a planet and by a universe and by a society that is decidedly imperfect. Mm -hmm. And so from that standpoint... Expanding that point, ev everybody has our stuff, like as kids. 
yeah, in right. adolescence and early relationships. Like we all have stuff to work through and learn from. And that's fine. That's just how it goes. And so if we accept that and just do our best and try our hardest and try to make the best decisions that we can, I don't really think there's more that you can do as a human, as a parent, as a partner. That's it. I agree. And to, and to let go of the things in the past that, you know, with the knowledge that you have now, you're shaming yourself for what you did then. I've said to someone on a call recently, it's like, it's like yelling at yourself back in the day because you didn't know how to walk. Yeah. And like to, to you as like a three-year-old, like you fucking idiot, you keep falling down. Stop tripping on you your walking? own feet. Yeah. Stand up, walk. I'm like, but I don't know how to walk. I'm doing the best I can. Like I'm trying, I'm learning, I'm flailing. But we do this with ourselves in the past of, oh, why did I go back to that person? Why didn't I? say that thing why did i make that decision you idiot and it's like we're all just growing up trying to figure it out yeah i wrote so, this line once that was don't shame the part of you that woke you up mm, i like that just this idea that we can't even connect to it because we're too busy being pissed at ourselves. yeah it's like your 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 biggest mistake is potentially your greatest lesson right yeah it's and like, all triggers is an invitation for for mastery so many so many fortune cookies we're coming up with. <laughs> it's that though, because at the heart of all of that is a choice. It's like, yeah, you get to decide: is this is this a mistake? Is this an opportunity? Who do I want to be? Who do I want? How be? do I want to be remembered? Mm-hmm. What mark do I want to leave on this on this planet? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is everything. And just treating life, I think, with a bit of tender curiosity and acceptance. Like, wow, this is a wild wild journey that we are all sharing life is fucking bonkers it's crazy you can't you can't listen you're listening to a podcast on a device that i believe there's a a, a interesting piece of data uh, i think it's in the book abundance i can't remember but it's about how in the 19 a kid with a smartphone Mm -hmm. has access to more information than the president of the united states did in the 1980s and the computing power of your iPhone is greater than the computing power when they put the man on the moon. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. And here we are like, my cell signal's not strong. I'm like, oh man, they're out of vanilla ice cream. This sucks. <laughs> but like the thing that- There's gluten in this? I try to like, unbelievable. I try to highlight this on podcasts I do, but the thing that we, we never talk about is that we need to zoom out further than ourselves, our city, our family, our town. Like if you zoom out at scale- We're on this rock spinning very quickly. Half of us are literally upside down. We don't even realize it because of gravity. And then we're flying around this gigantic ball of fire in the sky in a universe that is expanding into infinite nothingness. Like we forget that shit, that we are part of the cosmos. Like go, go at night and look up at the stars. Like take a breath in, like smell some fucking flowers. Like for all the things to happen to make us here in this moment, I think like the, it's like a one in 400 billion chance that your sperm met that egg, not your own sperm, but. Like just the fact that you are listening to this right now and that you have ears that can transform my voice into something that you understand in your brain, which is just this organ inside of your skull and that you can process it and make decisions that your feet work, that you have 
toenails and a pancreas and a spleen and all this stuff. And like, all these things are doing all the, uh, like all there's an orchestra going on within your body, but also what you're looking at if you have vision. I mean, Alan Watts talks about how it, the universe is just a giant light show. That it's just the symphony. And I, I do believe that. And when you can connect to that part, that mm. luck, the ability of being here, you really, I mean, I remember when the first person said this to me, I was like, smoke some more weed, buddy. Yeah, you but hippie. Yeah, but it's like, the chance you're here is so small, and yet you're here, do something with it. Mm. You know, do something with it. Do something you're proud of. Or just something you enjoy. Go yeah. do a somersault, you know, have some ice cream. I have a friend who made a rule. He was my room, he was my roommate, good buddy of mine. And one summer, he comes up with funny ideas. But one summer, he's like, let's do everything that was fun when we were five. <laughs> and so when it rained, we would put on rubber boots and go jump in the rain. When it snowed, we would go and do snow. It was just like the most fun, the most fun. And it was so cool to experience that. Like, because, you know, we live in Vancouver and Vancouver is prone to rain sometimes and what a cool thing to be able to go out and just celebrate it mm -hmm. that for me is it's so cool because it's just a different perspective it's just a series of decisions that you get to make about how you interpret your present experience and you get to choose to accept it or you get to choose suffering in my experience mm -hmm. and the more that i have done battle with reality the more that I get hurt, the end. Yeah. And so for me, one of the things that I've been working on for over the last several years and will, continu will continue to practice as I get older is acceptance, gratitude, Same. awareness, trying to do 1% better every day. Like that's, that's it. And to me, that feels like enough. Like if I can smile more than I did last year at this time, then that to me is success. Like, do I have more loving relationships in my life now than I did a year ago? I'm succeeding, right? Do I laugh deeper than I thought possible at times? Like I'm succeeding. Yeah, you're winning. And it's not necessarily a metric by some culturally approved idea of what success is doesn't mean that you're successful if you have an eight-year relationship and not a four-year relationship, or if you have five digits in the bank versus six digits in the bank, right? We, we tend to judge ourselves by these metrices of subjectivity. It's like, what does that even mean? Like, we are, the world is filled with people who are, I'm kind of on a soapbox right now, Mark. Go ahead, do it. The world is filled with people who are very unhappy, but who have the marriage, the house, the cars, the wealth the vacations, the holiday homes, et cetera. And we know that. The world is filled with celebrities who are on prescription medications for depression and, and all of these things. And so that's not a strike against depression or mental health or anything like that. Don't come at me. All I'm saying <laughs> is, I think that we can simplify our lives in a really pragmatic and powerful way by stepping back, by getting curious about what's going on inside of our heads and our hearts, by taking actions towards the things that really fulfill us, and that bring us joy. And the more that we are fulfilled and doing things that are fun, that bring us joy, the braver I think that we become, the more confident we become, the more actions that we take, 
that are aligned with who we really want to be. And I think we overlook that. That I think we overlook the value of play and of joy and of connection. That it doesn't have to always be a struggle that you yeah. get to choose. You like get to the choose. moment you take responsibility for your life, mm-hmm. everything changes. But then you go on the edge because you've never been there because you're doing totally. expansive things. You're making choices you've never made. You know, you're in a different place. And when you make choices you've never made, you obviously get results you've never gotten. But you also end up in a place you've never been. And that's scary as shit. Like one of the things that I've mm. really been working on, and I think, I mean, again, a constant, it's going to be forever, but it's just this ever surrendering, ever trusting, ever believing like my heart beats, my, my spleen does things, my kidney does things. I, am I doing it or is it doing itself, mm. you know? And then you watch the universe just move and create. And yet we think that we're different. We think that we somehow have this ability to yeah. control everything, but we don't. There's a, there's a balance between choice and, and, and surrender, you know? And I feel like that's following the intuitive call, following the scary, making decisions that are scary. Mm-hmm. Because man, when you have to betray someone else to choose yourself, that is the hardest thing ever. And but, but man, then you know you got your back. Then you know you're free. And then you see that the systems that you've been taught that say, if you get the house, the car, the marriage, the vacation homes, the celebrity status, then you'll be happy. But then you get that thing that when you get rid of them, you're like, now I'm happy. And all the blue zones where people live to 100, it's all about community. It's always about community. It's always about connection. It's always about the human experience. That's what I always come back to. Do you have someone you can trust? Do you have people who can hold you? Are you someone who can hold people? Are you someone people can trust? That's everything. Mm. Conan O'Brien has this great line, which is... That can't be a common sentence. Is it? He's very brilliant. I don't mean it as an insult. I I know. I just haven't ever heard Conan O'Brien has this great line, but I can't wait to hear it since I've interrupted. I know. But so this is is it, though. So Conan O'Brien... (laughs) It's attributed to him at least. But he has this great line of, at some point, all of our graves go unattended. Mm -hmm. And some people interpret that in a very morose way, in a very dark, gloomy way. But at some point, all of our graves go unattended. And so the way that I interpret that is that from a big enough picture, from a wide enough perspective, none of this matters. And so if none of this matters, you can do anything. Like you can create anything. Anything that's kind. Anything that's filled with grace. Hashtag, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Good life. Hashtag be a good person. Yeah. But it's empowering to me. Or or another way I look at things is, you know, in five years, will this matter? Like in 10 years, will this matter? If I'm in line and somebody's being a dick or whatever, it's like, I won't even remember this tomorrow. It won't even fucking matter, you know? I remember, I remember when I got um, attacked by a gang in high school. I mean, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, I wrote I, a poem about that. Like that about for your, for my, your 40th. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you did. Hit with a, a pipe. That was that such a good poem. You'll have to read anyway, it another but you, time. Okay. But I got, yeah, so I got attacked. I got 44 stitches in my head. I didn't know the people. They just attacked me because they were at a party for kicks or whatever. And I remember laying on my couch as a teenager. I was only 16. And my head, every time I laughed, my head hurt because of the staples in my head or the stitches. 
And I remember thinking to myself, as I showered, that's what, I, and I could smell the blood being washed off my head. I remember thinking to myself, in a month, this will be almost nothing. In four months, I won't even remember it. I'll just have cool scars. Mm. And I look back and I'm like, wow, why didn't you keep that perspective with all the things <laughs> yeah, that hurt? That was deep. But I was like, mark. wow. Because I, I, I remember that moment very viscerally, that, mm. that nothing is permanent yeah. unless you hold on to it. I just trust that like the letting go is the welcoming in and no matter what it is about, it doesn't have to be about heartbreak. It can be about leaving a job. It can be about letting go of an old version of you, a, a doormat version of you. Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Something I've been thinking about recently is uh, this idea of truth. And when we talk about beliefs and stories that came from childhood and trauma and whatnot, we can have very we can have very convincing evidence that this is true right i was hurt i was attacked this is true and and it might not be true forever and there might be different versions of true that you can choose today right now and move forward with so for example it might be true that you have only dated assholes, right? That might be true. But it also might be true that tomorrow you'll be standing in line at Starbucks and meet your soulmate, Prince Charming, who sweeps you off your feet and you live happily ever after. That's also true, right? And so I think where things can get tricky for us is we get stuck between these different versions of what's possible and what's happened in the past. And we use our past as a sort of lens to view the future through. And we forget, I forget, that I am limiting myself when I only picture my future based upon what's happened to me in my past. Yeah. Right? And this is something that I've been really playing around with lately in my own head, in my own heart, and clients as well. Of, of It's so challenging to let go of what we know to be true and embrace something that also might be true but we don't know it know it yeah. like when i say it might be we true don't that have you, the evidence yet that's right not realizing that we're sitting in the driver's seat to create the that's very right. evidence that would disprove the former yeah and so when i say for example that you'll meet your potential prince charming or princess charming at starbucks tomorrow like we all recognize in our brains that that might be true but we don't necessarily feel it in our body in our core in our gut yeah. that like no that is true like that's right? gonna happen like that shit's possible oh my god if it, i mean that's you some people will call that the secret <laughs> cheddar cheese time or you could just say it's the science of optimism, which is mm. that when you are open to possibility, you actually see possibilities. Totally. When you're not, when you're sitting in the, no one chooses me, no one loves me. And I, don't get me wrong, if you're sitting in that, I'm not making fun of you. Yeah, we love I've you. certainly, I, we love you. end of the road, Mark Groves, Boys to Men, he was in there. Mm -hmm. Then it's hard to get there. But this isn't about getting to perfect. It's about just moving the dial. It's about saying maybe that is possible. Maybe my story is my story. That's Maybe, how it starts. That yeah. little spark of curiosity. Even if you're like, fuck these guys, that's the beginning. I don't that's care. The Even the rejection of me is the acceptance mm -hmm. of something. Yeah. And you're listening to this right now. Which, hey, 
I mean, that's divine. You've chosen well. Yeah. Let's be real. And you're not, it's not the Jeremy Goldberg podcast. It's the Mark Ross. You ended up on this one. This one's all, this is, you know, also a really good (laughs) podcast. But it, it starts with that. It starts with that little spark inside that you can feel that's barely glowing, that's barely warm, but you know it's there. Like, guess what? Like, one match can start a forest fire, right? Mm. That's a nice cliche. That is good. Yeah. Ranger Rick wouldn't be excited about it, but yeah, I hear you. Don't do that. But like, (laughs) but legit, that's it. That's all you need. You need a little spark. And then you just add a little bit more. Pay a little bit more attention to that thing. Feed that fire Mm. day after day after day. Well, on that note. Yeah. Feed that fire, y'all. Yeah. Dude. Feed the fire. You came over expecting to do your podcast. You <laughs> was... did mine. We fucked it up. It's great. And I mean that in a good way, not a... Yeah. Like, hey, if we just made a bunch of mistakes, awesome. I love it. I love them. It's the best. Dude, perfect. I appreciate you. You're such a gem. I'm just so... You too, uh, bro. I'm so honored to be in your life, man, and so proud of you and just humbled by by you. Thank it's you, awesome. sir. You make right me better. Right back at you. Right back at you. Good chat. We just fisted each other. Whoa, that sounded weird. <laughs> we didn't fist we just <laughs> We pounded. We fist that bumped. even sounds weird. We fist, we fist bumped. bumped. We yeah. just fisted each other. Okay, that was good. Classic. On that just note. Classic Groves Okay, moments. I didn't mean to do that, though. Normally, I would make a joke, yeah. but that was that was really, that was divine. I think we should end on that. It was beautiful. Um, <laughs> so where do people find you? Oh, I... Um... I have a podcast called the Long Distance Love Bombs Podcast. Of so good! You are the number one uh, person. I'm the first, first episode. You're number one. Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at Long Distance Love Bombs, longdistancelovebombs.com. I have the newsletter. I have the Facebook. But basically, yeah, I'm I'm a ferocious never giver upper. I am a kind hearted kindness pirate. Like I just want the world to be better than yesterday. I help people get where they want to go. Yeah. Jer's the man. Coach, speak. We met via Instagram years ago. We did. And uh, it's been a beautiful journey with you. So you must check him out. Must check out his podcast. He's a poet who knows it. And he's a fantastic (laughs) writer. His spoken word stuff is amazing. You opened the last two Mm -hmm. conferences I did. And the one that's upcoming that no one knows about yet because I haven't released it. But know that there's something super hot coming dun, 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 dun. just leave somewhere around valentine's day weekend open people hypothetically yeah maybe you'll find out about it soon anyways bro thanks so much for being here yeah. thank you for listening so grateful that you exchanged time for this mm. i mean that's the one thing we can't get back and that means the world to me so thank you for listening Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.